wanna scream so loud for you. Cause I'm so proud of you. And let me tell you what I'm about to do. Mama, I know I act a fool. But I promise you I'm going back to school. And I appreciate what you allow for me. And I, I just want you to be proud. I wanna tell the whole world about a friend of mine. This little light of mine, I'm finna let it shine. I'm finna take y'all back to them better times. I'm finna talk about my mama if y'all don't mind. I was three years old when you and I moved to the shy. Late December, harsh winter gave me a cold. You picked me up something that was good for my soul. Famous homie chicken soup. Can I have another bowl? Welcome to Uncultured Bias Podcast. My name is Kamara Williams. I am your host. Uh, if he's heard that selection from Kanye West, Mr. West. Uh, you actually know this. we're doing a special podcast surrounding black mothers. So first of all, I thank you for all that. Thank you guys for tuning in once again to this pod. Um, you know how we do. I'm going to go into my monologue. And I've already kind of let the cat out of the bag what we're talking about. But you know, I wanted to say, you know, black mothers are the backbone of society. Now, you notice I didn't say black of America. I said of society. Uh, you see, if I believe that the core of America is black, which is the whole premise of the show, then obviously the center of that core is the black woman. Uh, throughout history, we relied on the black woman to raise our children, to work, uh, nurture, and especially in the last election to provide a moral compass for this election, or for this country, rather. Uh, but the black mother specifically is a special moniker. It's the black mother who is responsible for providing the ideals of their sons and daughters. Uh, show me a broken man. I will show you a mother who failed in rearing them. Show me a broken woman. And I will show you a mother who failed in guiding her. Is this plight, this harsh plight that black women are under um, when rearing our children? And despite having to do all this, despite actually uh, making a quarter of what a white male counterpart makes or half of what a white woman makes, they have the biggest task of all. Today on this special podcast surrounding black mothers, we're going to talk about the beauty and the struggle of the black motherhood and all things that go along with being a black mother. But before we do all that, you know, we got to do some housekeeping. And I just want to remind everybody who listen to this podcast to continue to subscribe. And uh, if you're listening on Apple, uh, please, please, please leave a rating. Uh, also leave a review, five-star rating if you're so inclined, and a review. That's how that helps the algorithm for Apple. Um, so continue, continue to review this uh, podcast and rate it. And, you know, it makes means the, the most to me and for this audience. Uh, because the more ratings, then, you know, gets up at higher the in the podcast uh, uh, ratings, uh, algorithms, and all that fun stuff. Also, if you are a fan of this show, I ask you to do one thing. Please, please, please uh, share the episode. Uh, share it with your friends, whether on uh, social media or just with a text. I always think personal engagement is the greatest form of engagement. Uh, so a text message and say, hey, I love this podcast. It's doing some amazing things. That's great. But also give it a shout out on social media. Say, this is a great episode. Um, they talk about X, Y, and Z, you know, and um, promote it. Um, we always say in the show, sharing is caring. All right. Perfect. Uh, our sponsors, obviously, this week, we want to give a shout out to Compass Tax Advisors. And so if you're looking for tips to help you determine the best IRS collection alternative, um, you can learn how or learn how to negotiate with the IRS, both in professional or personal. 
uh, enroll on the online class at mycompasstax.com or you can reach them at 850-273-7193. That's 850-273-7193. They're based out of Tallahassee, Florida, but they're also, um, they can work throughout the state of Florida. So also, if you are in the market for a home, check, please check out Keystone Global Real Estate. Um, they can be contacted at 407-680-8510 at www.keystoneglobalrealestate.com. And finally, if you're in the market for probate or estate planning, um, or if you're in employment law, if you're looking for somebody just to help you with some employment questions, uh, contact my firm at uh, Smith & Williams Trial Group, that's swtglaw.com, or 888-SWTGlaw.com. All right, so today we're going to talk about black mothers, and obviously I am not a black, black woman, and I am not a black mother, but I am surrounded by black women um, in my life, and I make no... Uh, bones about that. Uh, but in order to talk about black mothers, I feel like we have to have a black mother on. And instead of having one black mother on, I've, I actually have a treat. I have three black women. So one who is actually a woman whose uh, kids are a lot older, right? And they're actually uh, graduated college. One who is getting ready to get into the throes of motherhood. She's actually due and we'll let her tell the world when she's due and one who's actually, who's been rearing children and she has from broad perspective of raising young children and having someone having child children older. So, all right, ladies, ladies, uh, are you still here with me? Yes, we are here. All right. So I'm going to start off with, uh, my best friend, Jamie, You've heard her on the podcast before. Say hello, Jay. She's got on mute. Are you? You're on mute, my dear. I'm. Oh, you're bad. You're you're on a bad reception. Scratch that. We're not going to start off with Jamie. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to start off with Jamie. Let me get in the house. Let me get in the house. Yeah, go to get in the house. All right, we're going to start off with uh, Mel. What's up, Mel? (laughs) Good evening. How are you? Yeah, um, Mel is the, you know, well, Mel's a friend of mine. Also, she is uh, the mother of two wonderful black children who are graduated college, right? Yes. Yeah. And actually, Aaron has graduated and Cameron um, has one more quarter and then he's graduating from Savannah College of Art and Design. Woohoo, that's great. That is great. Mm-hmm. And our last guest is Chanel. What's up, Shan? Hi. <laughs> Shan, when are you due? I am due tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time people actually hear this podcast, you will be a, a whole mother. You're already a mother. I will, I will be a whole mom. <laughs> a whole mom. Oh, my God. So congratulate. Let's do a round of applause on that. That is dope. Uh, so what I want to ask the question and... Um, I don't know what Jamie's doing, so we're not going to even introduce her anymore. She's she's getting herself together. You have to introduce That's Jamie. Rude. That's rude. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jamie, are you are you ready to talk, or what are you doing? Can you talk? I'm ready. You still you, you still sound raggedy. We're we're moving on. 
Okay. You sound raggedy. Come on, I'm done. You're raggedy. All right. So <laughs> 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 we're going to talk about what is black motherhood to you? So I'm going to start off with you, Mel, and you can kind of describe to in your mind what is black motherhood? For me, in my life and, and the moms that have surrounded me, and I'm thinking in terms of my grandmother, my mom, my aunts, um, black motherhood to me is strength in the face of adversity. Mm -hmm. um, they have each, I don't know a black mother who has not faced some level of adversity in her life that she has had to overcome while mothering. Um, there's just no option. Uh, so we don't get to take a time off to, you know, take a, a mental health day. Um, we have to find a way to work through whatever issues are happening in our personal lives in our marital lives in our professional lives in our social lives. It doesn't matter what's happening when you're a mom, we've managed to find a way to work through it. Yeah. And I can honestly say that of every black mom that I know. Yeah. What about you, Shan? Mel, you, you're going to make it kind of hard to. No. Just... <laughs> that was so eloquent and beautiful. I'm like, wow, I agree. I wanted to snap. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, as it's, I mean, obviously, I'm not. I'm, I'm at the finish line of, you know, joining this. Uh, you are a mother. This new. I'm a mom. You are a mother. <laughs> um, but. Also, again, by someone who's been surrounded and is surrounded by nothing but, you know, black moms, um, I have to agree. Um, I think black motherhood is uh, strength. I think it's resilience. I think um, it's sacrifice. Um, I think those are the main adjectives I would use, um, even just in my house, you know, even though I had a dad in my life, my mom was pretty much a single mom. So, and that's pretty much been like the story for most of the people that have been raised, you know, that I was raised with. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, I hold my mom to such a high pedestal because it's like, she, you know, wore so many hats and basically was served as both parents for me. So for me, I have nothing but like respect and, you know, unending love for black moms. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Just about, um, serving two roles, uh, you know. But I'm gonna see Jamie. Are you ready to talk, or what, what, you, you done being raggedy? I, I, it's my phone. Is my phone raggedy? Is it still raggedy? No, you're good. I can. I'm hear good you. now. Yeah. All right. Oh my gosh. Okay, great. So, are are you gonna ask me, or are you gonna introduce me? What's up? What are we doing, ladies and gentlemen? It's Jamie Coleman. All right. What is <laughs> what is black motherhood to you? <laughs> <laughs> what is black motherhood to me? Listen, um, when I was pregnant, and by the way, Chanel, you are totally a mom. Mm -hmm. Okay. So <laughs> that's like the second time I've heard you say that. The the second you conceive, you became mm -hmm. a mom. Mm -hmm. And Very so, um, and, I, and that's important because like so many of us carry babies and they may not we may not be able to see them or hold them um, at times, you know, like um, maybe because of no thought of our own, we just don't end up having them, but we, we still, we, just, we still mother the, that baby. Right? right. So, so, um, but for, for me, when I was pregnant, I felt like 
the closest and the most connected to God that I ever, that I ever had ever felt. And, um, and so when I think about black motherhood, motherhood, I think about just being so divine, so connected to him, holding a whole entire world in my belly, getting ready to birth an entire soul and being a creator. And for me, that is black motherhood, where we are divine creators, not birthing just a, a, a person, but an entire world, entire being, entire society, entire country, planet, what have you. We're the center of all of that. We're the beginning of that. And so I agree with what my sister said. That's black motherhood to me. And black motherhood is having a rambunctious child in the background. That's my little man. I know. Eden. That's my man, Eden. He's, he's always a guest. He's always welcomed on this show. So I love him. So I want to ask you, though, because, um, Shan, you brought up something about um, being a single mother um, and, you know, being reared by a single mother, rather. Right. How do you feel about just when society, when you hear the statement like, oh, you know, um, a mother can celebrate both mother, uh, Father's Day and Mother's Day because she was a mother and a father to me. And, and, or, and, and in fact, you know, you can portion that off at even explaining to you what does single, being a single mother really look like in your world? Right. Um, okay, so specifically to answer the first part of what you said, um, when you say celebrating Mother's and Mother's Day and Father's Day, do you mean like on social media or like yeah. on Father's Day when people like get their mom's cards and things yeah. like that? Yeah, like what are your thoughts? Um, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm like a major proponent of that, just because I feel like while that may have been my experience, there are amazing dads out there, mm -hmm. and I think that day is reserved for fathers. Yeah. Um, so while my mom is, you know, my rock, I, I've never gotten her a card on Father's Day. Um, yeah. so to answer that first part, while I think that they should be recognized and acknowledged and honored every day, um, I think that specific day is reserved for fathers. And even though I know way more hands-on mothers than I knew fathers, especially growing up, um, I've, I've never just personally, I've never chosen to recognize my mom on father's day or wish my mom like a happy father's day. Yeah. Um, so, so that's the first part. Um, the second part, I'm so sorry. Can you? No, just like what is like like being what is being a black single mother like mean to you like what is that you know having been ra raised in a single mother household like how was that experience Honest like did you feel the pains of not having feeling like your father was I, around? I didn't at all it's crazy because I feel like I didn't even realize that was a thing or you know that I was like unusual until like probably when I got older and I want to say like maybe college mm. Um, for me, it was just, you know, it's almost like you, you don't miss something you've never had. Yeah. So, I mean, not that I have no relationship with my dad. I do. It's just I wasn't raised in the house with them. We weren't in the same state. It was just not the same. Um, so, honestly, I thought that that was normal. Like, and my mom did it so well. Even now, I realize, number one, my mom was an extremely young mom. Um, she had me at 19. Mm. Um, so, we basically grew up together. Um but for two, it's like she made it look so easy. You know, I, I didn't even realize the sacrifices and really appreciate it and grasp, you know, the severity of it until later in life. Yeah. 
so for me, I didn't feel like I missed out at all. I had a wonderful childhood, a wonderful upbringing. Um, so I, I genuinely did not notice that there was anything, you know, wrong per se or unusual or unconventional about it until later in life. Did were I'm so I'm assuming like even your circle, like your friends growing up, they were single mother, grew up in a single mother. Most of them. Yeah. Looking back though, do you feel like that's like, um, it's kind of odd now looking back like, man, how come all our fathers weren't around? Yeah, <laughs> definitely makes you wonder like things that make you say, Hmm. Right. Um, especially cause now obviously, especially after going off to college and just meeting so many different other people from so many different walks of life and now being a professional. Um, so, and I mean, even now with me expecting and having my husband who, you know, was so hands-on already, um, at the time, again, it felt just normal. But of course, now in hindsight, it's like, wow, you know, that's wild. <laughs> um, but I think it also just has to do with um, maybe even our, just our socioeconomic status and just kind of where I grew up, what part of Miami I was in. Um, so that was kind of the norm, unfortunately. Yeah. Mel, I don't know. I mean, I know, uh, obviously, Andre, frat, shout out to my frat, uh, Andre Mack. Um, you guys have been married. How long have you been married? Um, it will be 28 years this year. Yeah. That's amazing. 28 <laughs> years. That is amazing. 27, 27 of them, you know, they're okay. But one year is definitely great. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> 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 I'm just messing. I'm messing with Matt. I'm messing with Matt. All right. Um, so, but. Like, I don't know if, what your history is with single motherhood. I don't, I've never asked you. All these years, I've never did. Uh, did you were you raised in a single parent home, or did you have both parents? I was not. I had both parents all my life. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, in a neighborhood called Cherry Hill in South Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And um, my dad was a steel worker at Bethlehem Steel, and my mom was an educator. Uh, my mom was also an opera singer, and so I grew up with both parents in the household and I grew up getting off the school bus hearing La Traviata being sung <laughs> in the neighborhood me and my friends and so and it was no big deal it's just what we knew um and she my mother really she had me at 20 so Chanel and I kind of have that in common our moms were just entering young adulthood when they had their first child and she went from my grandmother's house into my father's house. Wow. And so she never had a period where she was on her own until after my dad passed away. Um, and then she was on her own. Um, but in my youth, when I was young, she was, I mean, she was basically, uh, she was our family. I mean, she was, you know, she reared us. She was an educator, so education was important to her. So she was heavily involved in our school life. Um, she was a Head Start director at one point. Um, my dad was, he was a man's man. He, you know, he grew up in a generation where when you come home from work, you have a hot meal on the table waiting <laughs> for you. You know, you have your, your work clothes are washed and ironed and ready to go because you are the head of the household and you are the provider. So it was very interesting watching that dynamic play out 
and then creating what I created for my family and what I took from them and what I left behind. Uh, and so, you know, that was, that was interesting. And listening to my children now talk as young adults, um, sometimes I hear my mom come out of them and sometimes I hear myself. So they've gotten a little um, from both of us, I think. So first of all, that's, that's incredible. I, I wonder, it's- I wonder if, you know, how you, like, Chanel, you talked about your mother at 19, and Mel, you talked about, you know, your mother at 20. Mm-hmm. It's odd to me. Your, your daughter's how old? Aaron is 25. Can you even imagine Aaron having a child at 25 right now? <laughs> Absolutely not. Right. <laughs> I so cannot. How, okay, how old, how old were you when you first had, um, wait, no. Yeah, how old were you first had Aaron? Because I was going to say your, uh, Karen, but yeah, how old were you first? I think I was 23. So she's already, so she's already past the age that you've already had. She's, she, yep, she's already past wow. the age. I know, it's, it, and then I don't, I don't think about it in those terms, but when you say it out loud, yeah. it's kind of like, holy crap, how in the world did I do that? <laughs> yeah, at 23 years old. So your mom will... If she basically followed your steps, or you would have been a grandma by now. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I would yeah. be a grandma by now. Jeez. However, I took precautions with my daughter to ensure uh, such a thing would not happen uh, until it's planned. Right. So we're talking about that, like, relationships, um, <laughs> mother and daughter relationships and whatnot. So, Jay, you you still here with me? I'm still here with you. Okay. So, um... <laughs> I know a lot about your story, but if you're comfortable about it, like when did you have my guy? When did you have him at, you know, what age? Yeah, so I have three kids. I have a 22-year-old, mm-hmm. I have a 17-year-old, and I have a two-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I had my first child at 18. And um, I had my next child at 23. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my child, I had at 38. Um, So a little bit of a a mix of of both the (laughs) ladies, kind of, sort of. But I I am not married. And so in that regard, I am single because I'm not married. But I am not alone. I have an amazing um, support system. Um, my parents helped me. My friends helped me. Um, I've built a community around me, or I've actually, you know, just welcomed the community around me. I've, you know, put my kids in all types of social organizations to help them become well-rounded because although I grew up with both my mother and father in the household, my children all three of them, um, their fathers are not in, obviously, and never have been in my household. And um, really don't do very much, in my opinion, to help rear them. So um, while they all have a relationship with them, you know, we can get into this some other time, but they do the bare minimum. in in my opinion, especially in relation to 
what I do and so many other black mothers do for their children. So that's my story in a nutshell, unless you had some specific questions. Yeah, like how when you when you first found out you were pregnant, like what was going on with your mind? Do you feel like your life was over or are you like eighteen? Absolutely. No, I had him at eighteen. So I was pregnant at, at 17. seventeen. So I had just finished high school. I was going into college. Um, I was in college, um, and I was I I was in denial, to be honest with you. So the first, I guess, the first eight or seven months of my pregnancy, I thought this was just a bad dream. I was going to wake up and I was going to be pregnant, and you know, I was going to go about my life. But I I didn't know what to expect. This was kind of uh, foreign to me and unexpected, right? Because I come from a military background too, so. Um, I was worried about the potential stain, right, in my 17-year-old world that this was going to cause on my family. Here, I'm 17, just out of high school, and I'm pregnant, and I'm not married, and, you know, it was just, it, you know, it, it was just a lot. And so my biggest thing was I'm going to become a statistic. And then society told me that much, too. You know, oh, you shouldn't go to college. It's a selfish thing to do. You need to take care of your kids, um, I had counselors tell me, oh, no, you're not, you know, you're not doing well. You need to go ahead and drop out and just focus on getting a job and taking care of your kids. You know, in retrospect, those things are it's not that those were that was bad advice. At the time, I felt like, no, I, I, I have to finish school because I have to take care of this kid. You know, like I, I was already in the workforce. I was already working three jobs. And yet I was barely making ten thousand dollars a year. And a while pregnant, I was on, you know, free Medicaid for um, pregnant women. And, you know, I was barely getting by, but the expense of medicine and those doctor visits were non-existent for me. So, I, you know, I just, I felt, I felt like it was necessary for me to get a college degree and to go beyond that um, during that time. But absolutely, I felt like the sky was falling yeah. until I had him. And Kari was like the most beautiful thing I had ever seen, you know, and um, being his mother really did change the trajectory of my life. Once I saw him, like once I had him, I was no longer in denial. I had this whole person that I was going to be taking care of. And that was looking to me to take care of him. And then my focus just stopped being about me and all about him. And so he was the best thing that ever happened. You know how Shan said that, um, I already know the answer to this question, Jay, but how Shan said that uh, she and her mother actually grew up together. I kind of feel like you and Kari actually kind of grew up together. I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, but so is Ariel and I. And yeah. so it, I feel like, you know, yeah, I didn't know anything about being a mom, but at every stage of the game, I didn't know anything about being a mom. You know, I had a, like it's been a while since I've had a two-year-old, but this is a brand new two-year-old, right? right? And Ariel, she's 17, but she's Ariel and she's 17. And Kari was Kari and he was 17. So yeah. I, I feel like at every stage of it, I think that's part of the misconception about parenthood in general is that because you've had one child, then you know how to raise them all. And yeah. each child is different. And at each stage, they're different. So while I have three children, I've never been a mom to a 22-year-old before now. Right. 
you know? Right. So I think, yeah. you know, I cannot agree more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm constantly growing up with them as you should be, yeah. as you should be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another thing about our generation is we, we, we kind of get stuck in well, my mama did it like this and my daddy did it like this and not that they did anything wrong or anything, but we forget to evolve and we also forget to change um, that our children are different. Yeah. And so, yeah, Kari definitely helped to grow me up. Um, I've made a lot of mistakes with him. Um, I have a lot of regrets on how I parent him. Um, same with Ariel. And some of those mistakes I'm still making with Eden. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm doing my best. You're, good. You're doing amazing. I want to say this about Jay, though. She has um, raised... Uh, what is raising three uh, beautiful children and uh, Kari, I called him my man because, you know, he calls me unk, but um, he's probably not even listening to podcast. He's like too cool for that, but <laughs> he's, uh, you know, he's such a dynamic uh, young man. I got to stop saying kid. I've known him for so long. I keep calling him a kid, but you know, it, he's such a dynamic young man. And for Jay, she raised these children and had put one through getting ready to graduate college and on his way to med school. And wow. you know, another one who is, you know, and Ariel, she's such a beautiful, beautiful child. And I, it's crazy because I remember how little she is. And now she's like a whole, turning into a whole woman. It's like, it's just, it's weird for me. But, um, <laughs> you know, and then again with Eden. And so it's, she's not giving herself enough credit, but she has taken on, so many roles and to do this yes she hasn't had a community of people around her but I, I it's amazing because she's went to law school then went to Georgetown law to get her tax um LLM LLM yeah. wow and this is all with kids in tow you know graduated at uh, obviously graduated college and so I just look at her and I look at black women who are single mothers and my you know, hat goes off to them because they have to carry so much. You have to carry so much water. Um, I, I wonder though, Jay, and I know you're like trying to multitask as we do this, but 17, imagine if Ariel came home at 17. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, we not even going to have that conversation. <laughs> but do you like... We not even going to put that into the universe. No, we don't want to put it in the universe. <laughs> We're not, but like, do you like look at like I can't like you're looking at at that age. You're like, is it surreal? You're like, absolutely, absolutely. I have one of my um, other best friends, Re, who I'm gonna have to send this to as well. It's podcast. She enjoys your podcast, by the way. Shout um, out to Ree. We both are, are both our oldest kids are 22 years old. They're like, you know, so many months apart. But um, we all we always look at them and we're like amazed. That when we were their age, you know, we were taking care of babies, whereas they're living their life. Like Kari's, he's he's a in a frat now, mm-hmm. and he's out all the time. He's he's a he's an omega, so it's an O U, it's an O W T out. Yeah, but yes, literally and figuratively, he's having a great time. But this is what we want for them, right? And right. so. I want the same for Ariel. Ariel has amazing goals and she's super ambitious and she's into theater and into um, writing. And so she wants to travel the world. She wants to work on Broadway. She 
he wants to be in films and I want that for her. And not to say that she can't have that with a child, but it is difficult to do that as a brand new mom and um, with ambition for yourself. One of the struggles I had as a teenage mom was trying to be uh, grown and a parent, like doing everything my peers were doing, right? So I'm a freshman in college and all my peers are going out. I'm in Tallahassee. So there was club CPA, there was the moon, there was all these clubs going on mm -hmm. every day of the week. <laughs> Chanel knows club all about NEC. the moon in club. I CPA. went to college in Tallahassee. Club NEC, there was Mount Zion. There was always something going on and I wanted to be out too. Oh, UT. Yeah. So <laughs> I, um, you know, I struggled with that and I also struggled with like, but you need to be home because your child is less than a year old and needs their mom. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, dad is not going to be around. He's not around. So you need to be there and it's not your parents' responsibility. So I, ha I, ha I was struggling there and, and did for some time. Mm -hmm. um, it took me six years to get out of college because I was struggling with, who who I am as a young woman and who I needed to be for this young man. So um, I want I don't want my kids to have to figure out that balance and possibly even lose themselves in the process trying to figure that out. So I, I want to talk about losing yourself in motherhood and you know everything that goes along with that. That's probably gonna that's we'll transition to that. But before we leave um, the concept of single mother being a single mother. Uh, is there some, I guess, is there a detriment to being a single mother? I'll start with you, Shan, and then you'll go to, you know, uh, Jay. Um, I mean, it's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think it definitely makes parenting, and obviously I'm not a single mom, but, you know, watching my mom be one, I think it's definitely more challenging Um because obviously where you would have the help of someone else, you're, you're essentially doing it all by yourself. But I think kind of piggybacking, piggybacking off of what Jamie was mentioning earlier and having a community. Yeah. I think honestly, sometimes depending on how strong your tribe and your community is, you don't even feel like, I mean, you don't feel like the, the weight of being a single parent, because even though you're single, you know, in terms of relationship status and having like another parent in the house, you may have, you know, more support than some, you know, sometimes people have a spouse or a partner in the house and they still feel like they're doing it by themselves. Yeah. So, um, I, I think depending that way. on what the outside circumstances are outside of your relationship status, it doesn't have to be a detriment, but of course, just looking at it on its face, if you didn't have a community, of course, you know, I, I, I would assume that it's going to definitely be more challenging doing it by yourself mm -hmm. if you're doing it by yourself. Yeah. What about you, Jay? I mean, I, I, I agree um, that it's challenges. I think that when you have one person in the household taking care of a child, you know, and I, I try to stay away from the word single mother, but and, and just an absent parent is probably what I'm thinking about. When you have an absent parent, then financially, you are way down emotionally. You are, you know, um, it's kind of like you get tapped out. Yeah. You don't have the counterpart to help balance you. Um, and it becomes, it becomes hard 
to focus on being present with that child when you have the weight, the financial weight, the emotional weight, the social weight, when you have all of that on you because there's an uh, there's an absent parent for whatever the reason is, you know? Um, and so you can't be your best self, nor can you be the best parent that you can be when you're burdened down that way. Yeah. Um, and eventually you, you start to see things differently. You know, you gain some perspective, hopefully, if you're the type that wants to, to, to be a better person. But I see so many of my sisters who carry that weight that they succumb to uh, abusive relationships uh, they give up on their own ambitions. Um, they um, get complacent with not um, w- with the system, and so it becomes satis- it it, be- it becomes enough. Um, they uh, go into a lot of debt. Um, you know, so um, emotionally it weighs on them. I I see so much of that, and I think. Um, I think we can all think about a single, a single as in unmarried, but a woman who who has children who has an absent parent, who shares a child with an absent parent, and and maybe that sister is is, you know, obviously burdened, you know, uh, and and is carrying the weight. So I do think there are some challenges there, and I do think it does hurt many of us and can be detrimental to any of us when we don't have support to help us with because it's never easy whether you're married or unmarried it's being a parent is 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 one of the hardest jobs you can have and um if not the hardest um so yeah i mean i don't really like the word detriment i'm you know i know we're not talking about semantics but i do think the challenges can can do do harm and i think it has a collateral Effect the children become, um, you know, affected by that too. When you're not able to fully be present and be available and um, be healthy for them. Do you think though that there's a? I think Mel was going to say something. You going to oh, say no, something, Mel? I was. I was going to say that that's how my story is very different. Um, I was blessed, and I will give a caveat, first of all, to say that I believe that I was blessed because of the spouse I chose. Mm. To your point, there are people who are married who I would not wish that on a child, frankly. Mm. Um, And so just because you're married does not mean that the outcomes are going to be better than a mom who's doing it on her own. So I want to clarify that, first of all, because I've seen that as well. And I am just blessed because I chose wise. Yeah. I think we lost Mel for a quick second. You still with me? Yeah. You got you cut out for a moment. Oh, sorry. Yeah. My my situation was different because and oh, by the way, Jamie, you're so right. We have. Oh, I think we missed. We're, we're, you're cutting out again, man. Selective memory right now, as she is today, when I was pregnant with her, and I still cannot see it. I think we, I, I still cannot. You, you I cut still out a cannot bit. see her. You cut out a little bit, Mel. Repeat what you just said. Oh, jeez. Your 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 Wi-Fi. What happened? Yeah, hold on. Can you hear me now? Yes, yes, Verizon. We can hear you now. 
I'm trying to figure <laughs> out <laughs> what. <laughs> what so, um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to remember what I was saying, but yeah, I was Aaron's age that she is right now when I was pregnant with her, mm-hmm. and I cannot imagine her being a mom right now. <laughs> yeah. Um. Still. Yeah. Um, but my situation was different because, you know, we were married two years before I got pregnant with her. Yeah. So we had time to be together and figure out what we wanted to do. We had time to plan a little bit uh, before she came. And then when she came, we decided that I was going to stay at home because we were in a situation where we were living somewhere. We didn't have any family, neither one of us. Uh, and so we, neither one of us felt comfortable leaving her in a daycare situation. And so we set up our lives to support me being home for six years. Um, it didn't start out as six years, but it became that because Cameron came along the way. Um, and I was just fortunate that that happened, but there were still sacrifices that had to be made. There were still difficult decisions that had to be made to allow for that. Um, And so no matter what your situation is, you're always going to have to make hard decisions and you're always going to have to sacrifice something. Um, And so, you know, being married, it depends on who your spouse is, basically, um, how that's going to play itself out. So I I guess the the next transition of that is you hear this, this statement often made that the um, the destruction of the black nuclear family has really um, helped or hurt the black growth in America, right? You say because it's no single single parent home. Um, the children don't have res- the same resources as coming from a two parent home and so forth and so on. Do, do you subscribe to that or agree with that? Um, and I'll I'll start with uh, Shan first on that. Can you repeat that? Do you do you agree with the statement or the sentiment that um, <coughs> single parent home has been the, I guess the problem with growth in the black community? Like you you hear that sentiment like oh because of black you know mm. there's a lot of single parent uh, single parents and they don't have um, the ability to get the same. Uh, funding or support, financial or emotional, and things of that nature, and and the black family has, you know, is one of it's one of the reasons why the black family hasn't continued to progress, um, both fiscally and socially. You've, have you heard that before? Do you... Um, yeah, I've heard it. Okay. Um, do you subscribe to that, or do you... I do not? Yeah. I, I mean, okay, let me. Let me take that back because I, I think that's kind of like a gray area. I definitely 100% agree that your socio and economic uh, status um, and just your access to certain resources and and just knowledge of certain things can definitely um, serve as a limitation in your ability to um, even know about certain things. For example, growing up in North Miami, where I'm from, it's like mostly Haitian. Um, and I'm Haitian too. Um, but like a lot of kids that I went to school with, <clears throat> I mean, my mom was younger so and she came over when she was maybe like eight or nine. So my mom's very, very like Americanized for lack of a better term. Um, 
So my mom was very much on top of education, grades, progress reports. She knew all of that. But a lot of my counterparts, people I went to school with, their parents barely even knew the name of the school they went to. So I feel like in those types of situations, I guess it could be attributable to your socioeconomic status. It did limit them in terms of just their access to knowing anything. Like they, it's almost like they just basically did the bare minimum. Like they're, the parents didn't know the name of the school. They weren't really on top of certain things. Um, And then even going into high school, um, depending on what school you were at, thankfully I was fortunate enough to be like in a, a, a magnet program called IB. And then I had access to certain counselors who helped me with my um, college applications. And my mom was on top of that. But a lot of people that I went to school with, I mean, they had no clue. Like they didn't even know what to do first, you know, even sitting for the SAT and the ACT and things that would possibly, um, you know, advance them into college and then ultimately a professional career. So I feel like I'm probably going in circles and I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I do think the socioeconomic status does play a role. Absolutely. Mm. Um, But I think a lot of it starts at home um, and just depending on how hands-on your parents are with you, because I feel like, how I, you know, quote, ended up or basically my route post high school is a lot different than a lot of people that went to school with me, like probably different from 95% of the people that went to high school with me. Um, So I think a lot of it starts at home, but I do think your socioeconomic status does play a role as well. What about you, Mel? I know you're actually what they call a traditional nuclear family, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, so... Yes, and we actually both came from those families. So his parents were married, wow, I, I know probably over 40 years, and mine was married over 30 years. So we came from that kind of a background. However, um, the family members around us, we saw um, single parenting happening. Um, but I think the difference then, as opposed to now, is that the village was localized, meaning that in our neighborhood, the village was in our block. Our families were within a five-mile radius. We were there together, in it together, whereas now families are scattered all over the country. And so for a lot of us, we've had to create family for our children Um, We relocated a couple of times and neither one of our families were there. So we had to create uh, extended family for them. And we were blessed to have been able to do that for them. Um, So family can be created. Um, We talk about our village, but that's that's real. That's not just something we say. But do you think like with black society, like it's um, it's the reason why there hasn't been progress because of the the you know debilitating effect of single parenting like there's like single parent homes are run rampant in the black community um at a higher higher capacity than let's say white america yes but there are societal and structural reasons for that i don't think single parenthood in and of itself is the demise of the black family. I think it's a result of the demise of the black family. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in Cherry Hill and in Maryland, and I watched a once thriving community turn into a shell of itself by the time my sister was in middle school. 
I mean, she was going to funerals every other week um, because it was right in the mid 80s when drugs were running rampant in our communities. Um, the system of welfare set itself up so that you couldn't have a man living in your house mm. um, and you were drawing a check. Right. And so you, you know, you were limited from where you could live right. in the city. Redlining is real. Yeah. Um, it's not just a theory. It's a practice. Um, being able to get loans was, I mean, almost unheard of. It was, um, but we lived in a community where there were black people who owned homes. And it was because nobody else would live there. I mean, let's let's keep it real. In Cherry Hill, it was a black community and it was a black community for a reason. It was a black community because that's where we were told we could live. And we were told that not only verbally, but in practice, yeah. um, in in resources, the schools that we could attend. The, I mean, it was I think it's much, much bigger than single parenthood. I think single parenthood actually is one of the results it's one of the consequences of what what of how the black community was established i agree i agree she said it right then i wish governor DeSantis was listening to this in his little rant about racism systematic racism isn't real it's race baiting no if you know a little bit about history you know about redlining you know yes. about um the federal government incentivizing private developers to build suburbs to separate poor whites from black uh, uh, poor whites from poor blacks. Absolutely. You know about the GI Bill was set, was used to um, was developed for the sole purpose of differentiating poor whites from poor blacks. All yes. it takes is for you to know a little bit about history to know that there's systematic race, racism, and so yes you know, the demise of the black family is not single parents. It's, no. the, it, it, it's the systems that have been put in place to do just the very thing that it is doing. And so I totally agree with Mel. I appreciate her saying that. I think sometimes we get caught up in the what the country should be or what it should look like that we, we lose ourselves in this type of utopia. And we, we think um, that there's actually some practical solutions that we can do to change what has already happened, you know? But these things have been in place for generations. For hundreds. Beginning, hundreds, beginning of the develop, the beginning of this country being developed and beyond. So I think um, it's actually very ignorant of people to believe, you know, otherwise. So, you know, thank you, Mel. I appreciate it. Yes. That. And what I will also say is you mentioned history, but it's not distant history. Yeah. We're talking, my mom helped integrate our high school. This was the 60s. It wasn't wow. that long ago. It was in our lifetime. It was in her lifetime. We are not separated from that by a generation. We bump up against the generation that had to deal with that. So we're not talking about some distant history that, you know, we seem to talk about history as if it's this nebulous thing that happened once upon a time. No, it happened within my lifetime. 
Um, and so, and speaking of black mothers, you know, she and many mothers like her, and I'm thinking really strongly of my mom today in particular, uh, because she passed away a year ago today. Wow. And wow. so I'm, I'm really Sorry. thinking of her. Thank you. I'm thinking of her and all that she went through to raise two girls in the hood, in an environment wow. that was unsafe for us, even though at the time we were at home, we were, we were fine. But as a mom, I can only imagine how she felt having these two latchkey kids. If anyone remembers what that is, you know, where we get home from school before they get home from work. And so to be a parent and have two kids who have to get home and, you know, stay alive <laughs> for several hours. Until they get home. You do, right. It, I can only imagine that, you know, what she had to deal with. And it was her village. It was our immediate neighbors around us who ensured our safety, who ensured that we made it home and ensured that we weren't ripping and running. You know, everybody had a Miss Rosalie in their block who was nosy and all in the business and would tell your mama on you. And, you know, she was like the hated person in the neighborhood, but I can only imagine my mom appreciated having that additional support. Um, and so, yeah, black mothers have always dealt with just the difficulties of life. Yeah. Um, and so we, we just shoulder it. We just do it um, because there's, there's, no, there's no option. Um, and even when there's a man in the home, um, we're going through it together, yeah. right? It's not like he gets a pass with what's happening in our communities. He doesn't get a pass. He's right in here with me. My dad was right in there with her. Um, and it was a struggle. It was difficult. Um, so that's why, you know, I like to keep it in perspective because single moms always get, you know, a bad rap sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's undeserved. I think, you know, their their strength is just I cannot even imagine what it takes to be a single mom. And my mom was was married, but my grandmom was not. My aunts, many of them were not. And it was difficult. Um, and I give them, I give them all, you know, all the props in the world for the work that they do to manage their families. Yeah. I appreciate that, Mel. I think, I mean, I, I echo that, right? Like my mother is married to my dad and has been for 40 something years. Mm -hmm. But before that, she was also a single mom. She was married at 16 years old. She had three children. And by the time before she was even 30, she was divorced and was was unmarried and had an absent parent um, and rearing three little girls by herself. And the strength from, you know, the strength of her and, and which she, she got from my grandmother and her, and her sisters and, and her grandmother, all women who have been married, but at some point in their lives were single mothers, either because their spouse was deceased or they went off to the military or their job or career took them out of the home so that they could provide for their family. Um, whatever the case was, um, were single mothers. So I wear single motherhood, single as in I, and I don't have a, a, another parent in the household with me. 
as a badge of honor. Yeah. You know, I, I recently you. had uh, someone say to me uh, as a way to attack me and hurt my feelings, say to me, oh, that's why you're a single mother. And I just looked at him and I said, you're ignorant because if you knew anything about single mother, and by, by the way, his mom is a single mother, but if you, you're ignorant, but if you knew anything about me, you know that I wear that as a badge of honor. Google me and you'll hear all about my kids. You know, like it, any interview I'm, I have, I'm always talking about my children. And so it's not ever, um, uh, while, we, while we do get a bad rap, my, if, if, no, if people don't remember anything else about me, I hope they remember that I wore that like a badge in an award every day of my life. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, you mentioned how your child, you know, excuse me, not, I was going to, well, rearing a child and the gentleman saying that you know you know him making that comment about being a single mother and then you saying that he would came from a product of a single mom do you feel like and this is to jamie do you feel like uh, you can look at at how a man turns out <laughs> based on how <laughs> his mother raised him or you think that's just, that's just like, do you feel, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, your mother did a number on you. <laughs> you know what? Yes. I'm just going to keep it all the way real from my perspective. Now, I, you know, I don't have, I, I'm only speaking from my limited experiences yeah. and perspective. So, you know, you can disagree and agree. And that's awesome, especially for the ratings for this podcast, what, what have you. But, yeah, I... <laughs> You know, I'll put it to you like this. My dad is a manly man. Like I said, my dad is retired military. And he'll tell you all the time, there's a difference between a man and a male. And you can always tell the difference if you're a man. You know, males try to imitate men. And um, <laughs> where, where, yes, I need some juice. Um, but I have seen some males that clearly have not been raised by a man, you know? Or raised how to be a man. Raised by a man or raised to be a man. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I have seen males who um, they, you know, their word, their character, um, you know, it's questionable. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's because they've been coddled yeah. or made to be able to walk walk in the gray a lot and i'm not saying that women are, are or mothers are what are teaching them i'm saying that they have not been raised to be honorable to be to be um what what society characterizes as a man you know um so yeah I, you know i like i said i don't want to like offend anybody no, but I've definitely seen what we what we hear like as mama boys yeah. you know um <laughs> we've seen that and we're like well you got a whole bunch of sisters or you didn't have a dad or you know the, the ignorant mm -hmm. about that but um yeah so so mel let me ask you like you like both you and jay have tw uh 20 something year old men were you yes. cognizant of trying to raise 
a man or raise him? Like, did you did you like raise a man as opposed to a male? I know Andre's in his life, right? Cam, Andre's in Cameron's life, so that's cool. But I'm saying for you as a black mo- mother, be like you were very cognizant. Like, I need to raise a man. You know, absolutely, because I have, and again, this is my. I agree with Jamie. This is my limited experience. Um, just I'm speaking for what I have seen, and I have seen some men um, utterly destroyed by their single moms um, because they turn them into, quote unquote, the man of the house. And by the way, I'm not, um, I don't want to say, I don't want to kill your steam, but it's just not single mothers killing some men rearing. It's mothers. Oh, I was about to say, because yeah. I have seen it in marriages as well. And yeah. so as a mom with a son, one of the things I had to be very cognizant of was when the two of them were engaged when they were locking horns when they were in deep conversations essential conversations i monitored my input and involvement in those interactions Mm -hmm. and so you know i really um was careful to let them have that yeah. And not inject myself mm-hmm. into those situations all the time. Um, there's a there was a time and a place for the two of us to parent together, but there's also a time and space where he needs to be able to parent from father to son. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so my dad was the the oldest male of four sisters and a single mom. And so he didn't, he never had a dad who taught him how to be a man. The men in his neighborhood taught him how to be a man. Um, the military taught him how to be a man. What is, what is um, so he had very different environments, but Andre comes from a family with nothing but men. But- he has four brothers and a dad. And so I felt like our experiences deserved their own spaces and so when cameron especially now that he's a young man it's even more important that they have those conversations without me inserting myself so that's a very interesting Mm -hmm. place to be in as a mom when you have a son and his dad is a a a co-parent when they are Mm -hmm. there with you Mm -hmm. um Especially when you're a strong, a strong-willed, strong-mouthed, soft tongue, you know, sharp-tongued <laughs> woman, opinionated, and all of that, it takes discipline to, you know, take a few steps back and let that play itself out. Yeah, I was going to ask. I'm sorry. I, I I was not trying to. I, I was interrupting you. I was asking, like, <laughs> what does it mean? to be a man like you're saying like you know he's got to raise like what does that mean it's such an amorphous term right so like <coughs> raising him to be a man like what does that even i think like? that's a whole nother podcast tomorrow. It, no, but it, like, re- it really is for me it means being self-sufficient it okay. means the the men in my life my husband my dad his dad they were providers yeah for mm-hmm. good bad or indifferent they were providers they were protectors Mm -hmm. They had very, in my mind, they had very traditional roles. Mm -hmm. And so I think I bring that traditional expectation to my son. 
Gotcha. Because I feel like he will be successful when he can provide not only for himself, but for whomever he chooses to have a family with. Gotcha. Um, I have a firm belief that he should be the head of his household. Yeah. And again, that's just my opinion. I know there's a lot of women out there who will <laughs> take offense to that, but I have always said that I do not have a problem with my husband being the head of our household. In my mind, the traditional background I have, it is as it should be. Um, because anyone who's ever played chess knows the queen is the most powerful piece on the board. Yeah. <laughs> so I lose nothing by stepping to the side and, and allowing him to have that space. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but I feel like my son, I want him to have some of those traditional expectations because he also has to survive in this country not just in this world, but in this country. And there are certain demands that will come upon him, whether I prepare him or not, mm -hmm. whether Andre prepares him or not. But we do, as most parents do, the best we can. Gotcha. I love that, by the way. And I love how and you're, I love how, you know, um, you, you're talking about uh, your position in his life, but understanding Andre's position as well and, and honoring that. Yes. So, so Shan, I want to jump you in this conversation because I want to talk about mother and daughters and like mm -hmm. that relationship. Like what is the dynamic between raising? I'm raising two little girls and I you see it with, it's funny to me because you're, uh, by the way, what, what what are you having? A girl. Yeah. I, so <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Um, you're going to see the relationship between the daughter and, and the father, especially one that's around, and you're gonna see that how you guys interact. And I will say, like Ivory's <laughs> interaction with them, it's so different their interaction with me. It's way and it's just comical sometimes. Like just watch, sitting back and watching, it is really really comical. <laughs> and it's like it's almost like she, there's this push and pull that <laughs> they have. And then I've been told that, yeah, that's not going away. That's just what it is. Like that mother and daughter thing, it's just going to keep intensifying. There's real genuine love, but it's just push and pull. Always, oh, yeah. This thing. <laughs> so like, I, like, what is your experience of being um, that mother and daughter relationship and going you're going to get ready to raise a, a woman? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny because even um, me and my mom are like the best of friends, but we also can like bump heads at times as most mother daughter duos can yeah. me and my mom both have extremely strong personalities as mel was saying earlier strong tongue strong opinionate yeah. <laughs> uh, very opinionate i am just i'm not a woman of few words um i've never ever been like shy introverted or any of those things and my mom is all of those things times 10 times just every Caribbean woman stereotype you can think of. Like yeah. she just a firecracker. So it's like, we're the best of friends, but at the same time, um, we just bump heads at times. So I think it's going to be interesting now raising a young woman and kind of seeing what our relationship, you know, developed into. Cause even now my husband, he makes a comment like, all right, if she start, you know, rolling her little eyes at a certain point, I'm going to yeah. just be looking like, yeah. I'm not going to say anything. Cause <laughs> you know, basically it doesn't, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Um, but I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm super, super excited for it, but I am interested to just see the dynamic. And I think most people, 
um, once they, you know, like Jamie said, I am a mom, but once she's actually here and I watch my relationship develop with her, I think you great, you gain such a greater appreciation for your own parents. Once you become a parent, Yes, <laughs> because <indeed. laughs> you realize what they actually went through raising you and things you maybe just took for granted or, you know, maybe a sense of entitlement we have as children. Cause it's just like, okay, you're my mom, you're my dad. This is what you're supposed to do. And then when you become a parent, it's like, wow, okay. Yeah. So this is, you know, this is what my mom dealt with. <laughs> so I think it's really, really interesting. But I think um, it, it makes you just appreciate your parents that much more once you become a parent. And I think also just in any experience, regardless of whether you're in a you know, single parent household or, a, a, you know, a two parent household, I think you're just overall more cognizant about how you parent your children um, because I mean, at the end of the day, there are goods and good and bad. So you probably, you know, there are things about your childhood that you like, wow, you know, I love this communication style. I love how my parents communicated with me. I want to be this way with my kids. And then there's some aspects of it. You're like, okay, I'm definitely not going to do that. Cause I'm going to remember how, you know, that made me feel. So, um, I think it's just honestly, just a beautiful cycle. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to see how it unravels. So like. Mel, what is it about? And thank you for that, Shan. That was that was um, pretty cool. That you know, just saying how like <laughs> rolling of the eyes. <laughs> Let me tell you. Actually, it's funny because Ivory, my girls will do something, and then Ivory gets mad, and I be like, <laughs> I mean, they just I she can gets just it like, from you. Yeah, yeah, I can just like you. You know, in that <laughs> in that moment, because they they did take on a lot of my personality too. So I'm not even gonna front on that. But like just with the attitude, especially my youngest. Oh my god, that yeah, my youngest it has the attitude, <laughs> and I just be like, oh god, what is that about? So, Mel, I um, what is it about the mother and daughter dynamic, in your opinion? So having you know been a daughter, right, and then now you're you have a daughter who's a young woman and rearing her to those age. Like, what what is it about that? Um, well, for my my mom and me, we really did have that love hate relationship. Um, I mentioned earlier that my mom was an opera singer, and so she traveled on tour for Porgy and Bess internationally, and so she would be gone for months and months and months at a time. And so I was tasked with, remember, she was married to a man who expected to have a hot meal on the table for dinner. He expected the house to be clean. That didn't change just because she wasn't there. So, you know, my sister and I, we stepped up to the plate, but my sister's five years younger than me. So I, I kind of raised her for many years. And so when my mom would come back home after being gone on tour for months at a time, you know, in my little adolescent mind, I'm like, well, first of all, you, how are you going to come back here and tell me what to do? You ain't been here. <laughs> you know, I'm paying your bills. I'm cooking your husband meals. I'm, you know, I'm grown. And that's so was like, no, because she came home and was like, I don't know who you think you are. <laughs> so we would have this push and pull thing that happened. Um, and of course, it didn't bend. It never changed. Um, but what I learned from that experience is there can't be two queens in, the, in one castle. Can't, it's not going to work. Right. And so now on the flip side of that, my relationship with my daughter is very different only because our relationship is different. Yeah. And she's a different kind of child. 
right? She wasn't, she wasn't aggressive like I was at that time. She wasn't headstrong and, you know, she wasn't, we were just two different people. So uh, my relationship with my daughter now, it's funny, my parenting style has changed as into, you know, we are now consultants. Mm. That's how I view it. We parent now as consultants. And it took us a while to get to that space because you've for for 18 plus years, you've been a parent where what you say goes. Right. This right. is the decision that we're making. This is what we're doing. This is how you're going to play this out. And then somewhere in college, that transition happens and you're no longer making the decisions. And so I've been parenting as a consultant for a few years now, and I think I've got the rhythm of it. <laughs> and it's actually kind of nice. Um, because I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I see them, you know, moving off and doing their own thing. Um, and so I'm in a very different space than I was just five years ago or six years ago. And so, um, yeah, our relationship is different. So now when she comes to me and we have conversations, she's talking to me like a young woman to, to a more seasoned woman, right? We're having right. really impactful conversations and I can see how her mind works, what's important to her, how she thinks, what kinds of goals she's setting for herself. And that to me is an exciting place to be in as a mom um, because it's a different space for the two of us. And so I'm enjoying that now. Um, it's a little disconcerting there in the beginning, but yeah. I think now I got my rhythm and I'm I'm good. I love that so, parenting as a consultant. Jay, I'm going to I do too. I was like, I need you need to like trademark that. I like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um that is that is a dope concept. I don't know how that's going to work in my house cuz I read <laughs> So hands on. So I'm, I'm going to talk to her about that. <laughs> no, you, know, you, you won't. You you're not a consultant now. I, I think that's right. See, Jamie feels me. She knows. Hold on, hold on, Jay. Before you jump in here, I want to play a clip. All right, because I want to uh, something. Okay. It's pretty. It's pretty offensive, but it's funny. I always remember this joke. It's a funny joke to me, but. Jay's looking at me like, why'd you have me leave with that? <laughs> I'm looking, I was really, if you heard me. It's so special. I, I, <laughs> I just, 
But I love them though. I do. You know, I. (laughs) So, although it's very, 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 very very profane, (laughs) but that rivalry between mothers and daughters, is that a real thing? Do you feel like, is that a, I always thought that was a funny bit. Yes. Yes. It's real. Mm-hmm. Especially I had first. it with my mother and I've had it with my daughter too. Mm-hmm. What is Especially that? You like your st- very strong women, you know, and, and mm-hmm. strong women raise strong women. women. And, and so, <laughs> um, you know, I've always encouraged my doc, my daughter to never dim her light, you know, speak up, um, communicate, you know, demand what you want. And the second she does it to me, it's like, who are you talking to? Exactly. <laughs> you know? So there is that, that there is that dynamic. Um, but I wouldn't trade it. I mean, my daughter is. She she has the best qualities of me, and yet at the same time, I can see her developing some of the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but but yeah, it's definitely real. Yeah, I always loved that bit. Um, that was before I had kids, and I, I just thought I was a, I never knew that was a thing, like a mother and daughter rivalry. Because obviously, I, I this is me and my brother, and so I was like, oh, is that the thing? Because I know. Dads have that with their sons, like you know, like oh, you know, I took you in this world, I'll take you out. Have it like, oh, who you bucking up on? You know, like because that my dad did that yeah. with me, and you know, I don't want to get into the whole father and sons, you know, dynamic. We'll save that for next month. Yeah, that's another that's another pod <laughs> exactly. But um, you know, well, so I think sons do that in general. You know, I think they all do it in general. Like my, I think there becomes a an age in, in a young man's life where he's got to test the waters and he got to see how far he can go. And so whether it's, whether it's to his mom or his dad, they, they like to see that. They like to test it out. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. Going into the next subject, losing yourself in parentage, parenthood. Um, I'm start off with Shan. Do you, is that something you've thought about, like, you know, losing yourself or has it been something you even, you know? Um, um, I, I don't have a whole lot to say on that topic, yeah. but I will say just with having so many friends and people around me that are just, you know, entering motherhood, um, I think, and just kind of like the advice I've gotten from like other new moms, um, I think that's something I'm going to try to be intentional about early on. Um, because I think that is a real thing, especially like as a new mom, cause it's like, you don't want to mess, you know, anything up. You're responsible for this whole, you know, new little person. <laughs> so I think it's very easy to get so caught up in that and wanting to like be the best that you can be for them that you do probably lose yourself in the beginning. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think it's something I'm going to be intentional about trying to find a balance like early on. Um, but I definitely think that's a real thing. I know so many moms who literally have told me that. Like it took, you know, a year or two um, for them to finally like kind of brush themselves off. I'm like, okay, you know, I, I want to start taking care of me again. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think that's a thing. Yeah. What about you, Mel? It is a thing. Um, I, for me, that didn't really, that came from the outside in, not from within. So when my kids started going to school, I became Aaron's mom, Cameron's mom. 
<laughs> I became, you know, a Girl Scout troop leader. I became, you know, all these different roles that I had not had before. And so the perception of me changed. But from within, um, I didn't see that as losing myself. Um, I saw that more as me evolving and changing. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think my children, I think were it not for my children, I would be a completely different, well, maybe not completely, but there's large parts of me that would have been totally different. I think the fact that they are here and a part of my life um, changed the trajectory of my life. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I never, I don't think I felt like I've ever lost myself. Um, I, I did put myself on pause a couple of times. Um, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think I ever really lost myself, but I do to Shan's point. There are, I have talked to many moms who do feel that way. Yeah. What about you, Jay? You know, I think that's so nuanced because I, you know, being that it wasn't that long ago that I was pregnant, I remember, you know, after having Eden, I didn't like the way my body looked. I wasn't getting any sleep. I wasn't eating good. You know, I felt like I was always breastfeeding and um, I just, I felt like a utility, you know, I was being spit upon. I was being shitted on blood, you know, was on me from him, you know, I, I you know, and then I, I, he was always attached to my boob. So it was just like, am I not a woman? Am I not attractive? Where did baby go? But I think all of those things were physical things. And so after, yeah, a couple of years, I started to feel like the old Jamie physically. Um, I think when people sometimes say uh, to someone else or in, in relation to someone else that they are they lost themselves, I think that might be what they're talking about. And they could also be talking about, well, because they're always talking about their kids. But like Mel said, I don't think that that means that you've lost yourself. I think parenthood um, is a is a is a journey. I think. Um, when you get there and you're you're talking so much about your kid, that's another dimension of your journey. That's another part of your development as a as a person. So I don't necessarily think that you lose yourself there. But I think when mo when most moms talk about that, they're talking about the feeling of you know being a utility and not being able to be whoever they were prior to you know, having that baby or, or carrying that child. So I think it's nuanced. I mean, and there very well could be um, another way or perspective of thinking about that. But, um, you know, I, I, even in where I am in my life right now, I work and I, I'm a mom. That's yeah. pretty much it, you know. So to, to someone on the outside, they may seem like, oh, she's not herself again. But this is my life. <laughs> this is my life. I don't feel like I've lost myself, but this is what my life encompasses. You know, I go to work and I come home and I'm a mom when I come home and um, I'm a mom at work and I'm a mom before I go to work. So it's what it is. You don't you don't ever stop being a mom. And Mel will right. tell you that you don't ever stop being a mom. Yeah. So, Not even when you turn 18, you don't stop being a mom. No. no. <laughs> and truthfully, I know for my mother, I think 
if if you unfortunately have the situation where you lose your mom, you realize that she's your mom up until one of you is no longer here. Right. You are still her baby. Even yeah. if you're if you are fifty oh, whatever years old, I you had your own still baby. Her baby. <laughs> Whether yeah. you're married and have your own kids, doesn't I matter. I know. I know. Listen, my mom is oof. I'd be like, Ma, I am a grown man. Like <laughs> Can you, it's, like, it's almost like she just forgets. Like, I am a whole grown man. Like, what is going on? So, but, you know, hey, it's love. I'd, I'd rather have her here than, obviously, the alternative, right? Absolutely. Um, One of the things I, I do think about, though, and I, 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 I'm going to bring it up, and I, I need you all to, like, run the road because I'm not in a position to say it, but having the benefit of having women friends and, obviously, my wife um, I have seen how after having a baby and feeling not like yourself and feeling like your your body's not your own. Jamie brought it up like, it, you know, it becomes a utility device, right? And that can cause all sorts of depression sometimes within a woman because she feels like, you know, or she doesn't feel, she feels disgusting. Like I have a friend, she says, Oh, you know, my husband wants to, you know, be intimate with me, but I feel disgusting. Like, and, and, and it's hard for the guy to understand, like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm ready to, ready to go. And she's like, no, I feel like, I literally feel like this is not my body anymore. And this is somebody else's body. Um, mm-hmm. I know Chanel, I know you're, you're hopefully you never enter that realm, but I know for a lot of women, that is a real thing. So, right. Kamara, I do not know a woman who has not gone through that after having a new baby. Um, Even after all these years, I remember that feeling, that first baby I had. And once she's here and she's in her bassinet and I'm getting out of the shower and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, holy crap. (laughs) Like, what is happening? And so, and it's totally beyond your control. It's, it's, it's beyond your control at that point. Um, And it's, it, I can see how women internalize that because it's, you know, your body, every aspect of your body is a part of your identity. And so when you have a drastic change like that, it, it does throw you for a loop. It can, it can (laughs) throw you for a loop and, and hopefully, you know, you'll have someone close to you, if not a spouse or a significant other, um, some other um, women friends who will talk you down off the ledge every now and then. Um, Cause there's going to be those moments where you're like, Jamie said like, Oh my God, like I just need a hug. Like I don't want to nurse. I don't want to, you know, I just, I just want a hug or some days just leave me alone. I don't, I don't, I'm not mom today. I, I don't want to hear mom 18 times today. I, I just, I just want, you know, so I think every mom has had that experience, those experiences periodically. Um, but especially when, when the baby comes, because it's a shock to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I get that. Um, Jay, you want to jump piggyback? I mean, you know it, you, I, you know, I still struggle to this day and I, my oldest is 22. I mean, I had a baby at 18 and before I had him, I had like this really nice six pack and these big turkey boobs and you know, I didn't have any ass, but you know, I had a little, a little weight. 
<laughs> after he came, my little six pack, you know, went away. My abdomen was poking out of my belly, stretch marks, my boobs deflated, you know, like shit happened, you know? <laughs> and, you know, not to mention that as soon as you have the baby, you know, you're sleep deprived, you know, sometimes. Some people are really lucky, like Alicia. Really lucky. <laughs> Baby will sleep through the night, Lauren. Um, but some some of us, you know, are waking up every couple of hours. And so the result of that was my eyes, as big as they are, were bloodshot red, my hair all over the place. Some people lose their hair right after the baby skin. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's scary, you, Chan. I mean, this, these are all things that are not going to happen to you. Not going to happen. <laughs> you know, like, not to mention, you know, like, after, right after you have the baby, you know, you're bleeding for a couple right. of months. You know, <laughs> if you're not breastfeeding, it's, it's you don't feel attractive. Yeah. And, um, right. So to have women in the in your circle that says, okay, I want you to put on a weight trainer, huh? Okay. Put on a weight trainer, or I'll, I'll braid your hair, or you look beautiful even though you look like shit, just helps, you know? <laughs> have, to have anybody in your corner like that, or, hey, I'll watch the baby while you get a couple of hours of sleep, or even make sure you sleep when the baby is sleeping. Yeah. Please do, don't try to do laundry. Don't do that. You know, try to sleep when the baby's sleep. Just little things or fix you a plate or, you know, or what have you. Makes all the difference. Um, but even, you know, 22 years later or two and a half years later, I still look at my body and I'm like, God damn. You know, but, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, but, but I would not trade these three beautiful blessings in for anything else you know i'll take this body every day um just to have them um yeah you know it's it's a it's a work on you you know you got one nipple going this way one going that way (laughs) yes yes tell it (laughs) love yourself you gotta (laughs) get up and and these are real issues like we're laughing about them but this shit does toll on you and can make you depressed yeah. you know um, and you know so you have to learn to love this new body of yours and um and at the same time you know deal with the loss of the old body but love this new body of yours because this new body of yours carry life um so and just wait till you see her little face oh <laughs> The love, it's, you know, whenever you have those moments where you're having self-doubt or whatever, just look at her beautiful little face and just think, I did that. We did that. God allowed me to bring this person into the world. It is so overwhelming. And I still get goosebumps thinking about that. Um, It is truly a blessing. And I, you know, I really... I, I feel pain for women who want to have babies and oh, cannot. Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. so I try to remember to count my blessings that I was even able to do that yeah. because yeah. what we take for granted, other women struggle yeah. for, fight for, 100%. I mean, really work hard for. And so I, whenever I felt down, you know, remember that there are women who, yeah. who wish they could have those stretch marks. They wish That's true. that they could I just be said able that the to other nurse day. in the middle of the night. They wish they had that. 
And so I, you know, just have to count your blessings and just remember it is a blessing. Yeah. Every little difference in your body is a blessing. So Shan, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, pivot to you, but I'm going to take it in a different direction. We have this new culture, the Instagram culture, and it's the snapback culture, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. And do you feel like as a young woman and soon to be, you know, having a newborn, do you feel the pressure of that snapback culture or does it even phase you? It does not phase me. Um, It's very much, you know, obviously a real thing. And I think, yeah, social media is just, I mean, that's absolutely the worst when it comes to that. Um, But no, I don't feel pressured by it at all. Like even what Mel was just saying and even what Jane was saying about her body. Like, I mean, obviously she's not here yet. But, you know, the first, well, probably every night, I'm, like, oiling down. Like, I have my sweet <laughs> almond oil, my cocoa butter. I'm like, yeah, I know they say genetics. This may not help, but I'm going to do what I can. And it was so funny because, like, at my, like, 34 or 35-week appointment, uh, my husband went jean with me. He's like, oh, you got a couple of stress marks. I'm like, boy, what? <laughs> as much as I've been oiling down, like, this <laughs> And now they've gotten, like, dark already. So it's like my body's already changing, you know, before she's even here. So, but to piggyback off of what Mel was saying, even recently, I think it was like maybe two weeks ago, it was like National Infertility Week. And I saw so many people that I did not know that were struggling with infertility um, posting about their journeys. And one woman in particular, she went to Florida State with me. She had been trying for like four years, her and her husband, um, and could not. And then they ended up going through different rounds of IVF. And eventually now she's like, they're expecting. So, and it's wonderful. But it's just like, you know, I didn't have to go through any of that. Like, like Mel said, it just makes you so thankful. I'm like, I'll take these stress marks. You know, I didn't have to deal with that, like emotionally. And I mean, thankfully, she was able to ultimately conceive, but some women are never able to. So I, I wear it, like Jamie said, as a badge of honor, you know, already. So, um, no, I don't feel pressured at all by the snapback culture. I'm going to be enjoying the baby. Yeah. <laughs> of course, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm going to do what I can to try to feel like myself, but at a pace that's healthy and natural and comfortable for me. Yeah. Good. And that's the magic words, right? At a pace that works for you. Mm-hmm. But it's like the pressure is real. Like, oh, yeah. I'm like a, so, and, I, and I, I come from a different vantage point because while I'm not in a relationship, I would like to be in a relationship. You know, and I would like to um, feel like I'm attractive to someone that I'm attracted to. And so with that comes those insecurities. Like I'm not married. So unfortunately, I don't, you know, if I meet someone new and unrobe, I'm kind of like, oh, hey, you don't know that, you know, I didn't, you're going to see my nipple going this way. You're going to see me stretch marks. And, you know, like, is this still going to turn him on? Like, does he think, you know, like, I, you know, so this, this, these are some thoughts that I have, you know, um, just keeping it all the way real. So yeah. when I see those things on social media, it's like, ugh, you know, um, there's a whole industry devoted to snapback. You know, there's the mommy makeovers, you know, if you see plastic surgeons on Instagram. No, I follow like how I have them. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm always looking into, okay, so what can I do to minimize the stretch mark or what can I do, you know, like what kind of breast implant do I need to get to make my, 
stuff look better and more natural. I mean, these are like, I'm just, you know, these are real issues. So um, while I do think it's important to be grateful, um, I don't think it discounts the fact that you do have a segment of people while they're grateful to have their kids still dealing with those insecurities. I'm being one of them. I don't, you know, I think that they they don't, they're, they're, they're mutually exclusive and that, you know, while I'm very, very appreciative and I understand that people are struggling with fertility and I, you know, I, I love that I have my kids. I still deal with those insecurities about how my body looks as a result of having kids. So I wonder, and I'm, you know, if you guys are not comfortable talking about this, I understand. Um, postpartum you know I you know my wife on her second one on our second one we uh, experienced postpartum I say we because it was a journey together but she actually was dealing with it obviously with herself and you know it was a lot of things that went along with that Um, you know postpartum is a real thing and it's it's something that is it's like it's hard to describe until you go through it, right? I'm not sure what that ringing sound was. Maybe it's- it was an alarm. Sorry, two hours. Get off my back, Jay. Um, <laughs> like, do you guys want to talk about postpartum? And, and I don't want to, Chanel. That's not, that's not going to happen to you. You're not going to get postpartum. You mean postpartum depression? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah I mean, I. I think I think depression looks different in black women period than it does in in a lot of people, you know, a lot of other people. Um, you know, so I you know, I know that I after having eaten, I I didn't feel like myself, of course, but I also felt very, very depressed. And I would go through some ebb and flows and um and like years later, you know, um, was experiencing what we call postpartum depression. But to certain people, you know, it didn't look like it to that to them. Because oftentimes, anxiety and depression is misdiagnosed in black women, period. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a it's obviously it's natural. And, you know, I encourage, you know, everybody to just you know, be gentle and kind to yourself and um, that it's, you know, that it's okay. Give yourself some grace because you are changing hormonally. You're changing, you know, some of us have the, the, the fear of um, we got to, or not the concern that we have to hurry up and go back to work after having a baby. We got to hurry up and get back into the workforce and you're, you may not be physically, mentally or emotionally ready you know, um, I had brain fog for a long time. You know, I I was forgetting stuff. That's a real thing. <laughs> it's a real thing. Yeah. Um, for me, it was anyways. I wasn't really ready to get out there and, and do the things that I was doing before I had my baby. And yet I was doing that because of the pressure of hurry, hurry up to get back into my office, build work, take care of bills, whatever. So. I mean, you just got to be gentle and kind with yourself. Know it, and there's resources out there to help you. Um, I can't give a one eight hundred number, but maybe you can find one towards the end of 
you know, you're taking and you can put it up there for people who may be suffering from postpartum depression or know somebody that's suffering from postpartum depression. But it's a very real thing. And I, I think it's going to look different from one mom to the next, but especially from one demographic to the next. And um, you should talk to your healthcare professionals about it. Yeah, most definitely. Mel, you got anything you want to say about it or are you straight? No, I'm good. I think she summed it up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Amy. So, all right. Um, thank you, Jay, for you know taking the lead on that one, and uh, it's a very real thing. Like I said, I I I don't want to you know belabor it, but I also don't want people to think that um, it's it's one size fit all. As she said, depression it's it's your own journey, but it's also so individualized, and sometimes you don't even know you're going through it. Like Ivory would say. I remember she said, she's like, I didn't even know I had it until I got out of it. Right. She's like, I didn't yeah. even know I had depression. I just, and I didn't even know because she didn't communicate it with me. I just knew she was off and I just knew she was angry at me. And so, and, but she didn't verbalize why, where that anger, now looking back, I, I know where a lot of it came from. Um, some of it was external, some of it was internal, right? Um, external factors, rather. And so I, you know, it's hard to, it's really hard to something to anticipate until you go through the middle of it. So, yeah. Um, so moving on and I will actually post that I'll, I'll I'm going to post that yeah. in the comments because I, I think that's something that people should, should be aware of. So thank you for that reminder, Jay. I'm going to ask, I'm going to move into another direction and Shane, your husband is a law enforcement officer. Mm-hmm raising or bringing a child into this world and and in being married to someone a black law enforcement officer um do you have like when every, when all the social upheaval was going on what were your thoughts about that like did you feel a conflict about that um question. i i wouldn't say that i felt a conflict per se um, but obviously I did feel just like the emotions from many people, including myself, including my husband, like yeah. just because he's a black law enforcement officer doesn't mean that he's blind to the social injustices that are taking place around us. And we have conversations about them all the time. Yeah. He's very, very open about it. Um, and he sees, you know, what we sees, but obviously, you know, there are people on social media, you know who are just completely anti just police as a whole. Yeah. So of course that would just, and some of them know that, you know, what Jean does for a living. So of course uh, that became just like a weird space. Yeah. Um, but in terms of me feeling conflicted, not at all. Cause at the end of the day, we always stand on the side of what is right, regardless of who's doing it. And we never felt myself or him conflicted in terms of being vocal about what we knew was wrong, regardless of, you know, what the profession is. Yeah. Thank you for that, Shan. You're welcome. Mel, raising a black son in this social environment, a couple minutes, just like, what did you think about, like, what were your thoughts about when all the social upheaval, like, did it, did it, were you scared or did you feel a certain emotion attached to it? You know, it was something about the death of Trayvon Martin that turned the corner for me with my son. And I don't know what it was specifically about that particular situation that did it, 
But and I, I think it was the fact that, you know, there have been many times where my son has walked from our house to the 7-Eleven on the outside of our subdivision and did it all the time without even thinking about it. And it occurs to me that in the midst of that, you know, that could have been my son very easily. Um, and just when that hit as a mother, it just made me hyper aware of his, um, of where he is, like, um, you know, where he is, who he's with. I think I've always been vigilant about that. But once that happened, like even now, my kids will text me and tell me where they are, who they're with. You know, they don't. And I, and truthfully, I don't think any of us do that. We never leave the house and no one knows where we are. Like someone always knows where we are. Even my husband and I, when we leave the house, I know where he is. He knows where I am. Check in, you know, hey, I'm at the cigar bar. Hey, I'm here. I'm doing this or the other thing. And we've kind of trained our children to do that, too, so that even as young adults, they know to let someone know where they are. They don't just disappear and we not hear from them. They also know that when they're physically in, in the home, in our home, I don't sleep well until they are, until they're here. Like if they go out with friends or whatever, and I, I don't know, it's probably a mom thing. I don't know, but I don't quite sleep as comfortably until they're under the roof. Like if they are, if they're out and about, I sleep, but I sleep lightly. I hear everything. I'm up. Um, and I think some of that paranoia um, comes from these situations that are constantly happening. And the truth of the matter is, this isn't new. Yeah. This is not new. This has been going on from the beginning. I think what's new is what Will Smith has said. It's just being filmed. Yeah. That's it. And it's in our faces. And I think it's that constant, that constant bombardment of these images and situations. I think it's going to change the way we parent. I think it has changed some of the ways that we parent. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I do, I do worry for him in, in a different way than I do for my daughter. Um, I worry for her as well because sex trafficking is a thing. And she's, she's a little miss, you know, she's petite. She's driving around in this car by herself. I worry about that. Um, you know, so as a mom, I, I just think that's how we're built. Once you have kids, they're always in your thoughts. They're always, you know, you're always concerned. Um, I just try to manage it so that I'm not obsessive and I'm not that mom. So, <laughs> the psychotic mom calling your friends, asking where you are. <laughs> That's funny. So Jay, I, I'm gonna I'm going yeah. to um do a different spin on this. Do you feel like a black mother um has to carry an extra burden of just you know uh, worry because not only just being a mother in general, but also the social things that go along with that? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, just as a black mother of a black, of my black girl or my black daughter, you know, young women, black women are 
you know, are subjected to discrimination, sexual and racial discrimination in school, at least five, maybe even up to 10 times a day. You know, um, imagine what that does to your psyche and the morale of the student. So here it is. My daughter is going to school to get an education and someone's either popping her bra I'm making a comment about her hair, her natural hair, her ass, you know, something, you know, or, or she's experiencing some type of, some form of discrimination on a regular basis, you know, so, you know, as a female or as a, as a black female or, and sometimes even both. So you're dealing with that as a, as a mother of a black man, um, I worry about him being stopped. You know, I worry about him, how he's going to be talked to um, by certain authorities, how he's looked at. Do they see my 22-year-old or do they see a threat? You know, how do how are they going to respond to, to him? You know, um, there's also the dynamic of how white women deal with what, uh, black women. You know, there's, there's a... <laughs> I, the way certain white women deal with black women, especially black women that are students, you know, white women teachers. I think there's a dynamic that we don't talk about, you know, um, but there's a there's a strain in some of the, the relationship there. Um, and I think you, so. I, yeah, I do think that we have a as black mothers, there's a there's a type of um, weight that we get we experience or that or, or we feel we're we're under because of that and um you know i worry about my kids just like any other mother but i also worry about them because they're black or they're black and female or they're black and male too because i don't ever know how society is going to deal with them yeah so i'm, gonna- I'm yeah and I, I don't know if i was clear about the whole white woman white black you know black female black woman white woman situation but you know the thing that comes to mind is my daughter was in a class a few years ago and her white teacher um they were reading what book was that um to kill a mockingbird which i believe has no fucking literary value whatsoever but at any rate they're reading the book in school and one of the kids white student says the n-word and the teacher and all the students are looking at him like he's crazy and ariel's like great you know wait till i tell my mom about this one and the teacher then tells ariel oh there you go starting problems and so i had to have a parent teacher conference with this lady and tell her yo your response was completely inappropriate and i said you know like you there you go demonizing her for making a comment when your focus should have been on this ignorant little boy. And, and, and truly while I'm upset with him, I'm more upset with you because you're reading this stupid ass book that has no literary content and that does more damage than good to these kids. Like why are you, why are we making these black kids feel 
less than? Why do they have to feel like they have to have a savior? Why did, let's think about the context of this book and what is it doing? Why is it that they have to be perceived as bad? You know, why, why are you, and then if you're going to have them read that book, then have them read the autobiography of Malcolm X. Have them read some black hero in, in, in literature and, and, and possibly make the white kids feel like how you're making these black kids feel. But, but more importantly, because we're talking about my child, don't make my child feel bad because she said something when you as the adult should have said something. That's the type of shit that I'm talking about. And it's kind of, it's nuanced, but, and sometimes it's easy for us parents to just let it ride or we're not going to, you know, don't worry about it, honey. But these little issues are fucking paper cut. The mi- and they, they're microaggressions, they, yeah. Yes. And after after a while, you know, these things do end up hurting these kids. And so, you know, yeah, I feel like as parents, black mothers, we have a little bit of a different um, uh, burden on us, for lack of a better word, than other types of mothers because of how society not only views us, but sometimes treats us and our children. Yeah. And these situations are irrespective of whether or not you come from a two-parent home Absolutely. or a single-parent home. Yeah. Yep. As we bring that circle that back. So, right now, Shan has been... I'm sorry, it wasn't To Kill a Mockingbird. I think it was Huckleberry Finn or some shit like that. I don't know. Oh, it probably I think it was Huckleberry Finn. It was Huckleberry Finn. Sorry. Yeah, because yeah. Kill a Mockingbird has... I'm going to get a bunch of messages about To Kill a Mockingbird. My bad. It was Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> um... So Chanel has been incredibly gracious with us as she's going through her Braxton Hicks. <laughs> she is breathing heavy and cause she's about to drop a baby any moment. So I want you guys to do me a favor and give her some advice on this new journey that she's walking on. And that's how we're going to rock with it. We're going to end it on these. I feel like I probably scared Chanel. <laughs> you haven't scared me. I feel like I'm scared. Listen, you're going to be and you're an awesome mom already. Congratulations yes. in advance. You know, my best advice to you is to go with your gut, you know, uh, about your child. Like you, you are the best physician for your child. You are the best teacher for your child. You are the best counselor for your child. You're the best advocate for your child. Go with your gut with your child. You know, yes, you know, seek counsel, but don't doubt your ability and your skill to be the best because there is nobody else gifted with this child other than you and your, your family. So trust that. Congratulations. And um, I'll leave it there. And I'll let Nell in because she's not as, you know, I would just say that just remember you are built for this. Mm -hmm. You are built for this. You were designed for this. Um, You have to find your own rhythm. You're going to get so much advice and it's going to annoy you after a while. Everybody's going to have an opinion about everything you do as a mom and the bottom line is the only person that can answer those questions is you because the way I mother is different than the way Jamie mothers. It's different than the way your mom mothered and that's okay. And don't feel like you have to be the perfect mom. 
Because you're right, in the beginning, when my mom got on the plane and left me with that baby, I stood at the airport crying with my daughter in my arms because I was like, oh my God, I am responsible for this human being. I panicked initially. Don't panic. Like I said, you are built for this. You can do this. Um, and I am excited for you. I'm so excited for you. And I will tell you that when you have her, that will be the best sleep of your entire life. So enjoy that initial sleep after you give birth. Oh my gosh. It, it is just <laughs> oh, you're not, and you're not gonna see it for a while. Yeah, but that's, but that's okay. That's okay because you can do this. She is, I mean, truly, the love you're gonna feel for her is gonna be so unfamiliar to you. It's gonna be consuming, and it's that love for her that's going to make you the best mom for her. Not necessarily what we think is the best mom, but the best mom for her. So I wish you nothing but the best. I can't wait to see pictures of her. So Kamara, just get ready because I know you're probably going to get them. I want to see them. Yeah. Now that I've met Chanel, I want to see them. Yeah. I'm so happy for you and good luck. I Thank wish you, you an much. easy birth. Easy breezy. Easy breezy. In and out. Yeah. That's what I'm praying exactly. for. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mel and Jamie. Thank you so, so much. I'm going to say this without forcing myself into space. I'm not allowed to, but I just want to say <laughs> you are you are going to be such an amazing mother and your instinct's going to kick in. It's very, everything is the biology. Right. Everything is going to kick in. And, you know, honestly, I'm going to say something really messed up. You mess up on your, you mess up. It's okay. The kids will recover. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are very resilient. They are They're very resilient. <laughs> like They're resilient. They even bounce. They even, yeah, I will tell Ooh, you. Did you say that? Listen, uh, Ivory doesn't like to admit this, but she, the big, uh, there was a funny story when we were living in an apartment and uh, I wasn't home. And so she was in the other room. And she didn't know it, this is the first time that she uh, Niara rolled, and she oh. and I and she just heard a boom, and she was like, "What the <laughs> heck is that?" And she came out to the to the, to the living room and saw the baby just on the ground before she just used to say stationary. She was just stationary, and this is when she first rolled, and she was like, "Oh God!" And Ivy was freaking out. She just started crying, like, "Oh my God, the baby!" And I was like, "Is she crying?" She's like, "She's not crying, but you know." And I'm just like, "She's okay. She's okay." So guess what? It's gonna be okay. Something, something's gonna happen, and you're gonna be like, "Oh my God!" And it, trust me, everything's gonna be okay. And Kamara, I'm gonna need you to stop telling my business. You ain't supposed to know that the same thing happened to us, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I just that's how I wanted to end it, man. And I really do appreciate you and I wish you it's going not wish it's going to happen. We are claiming it's gonna be a, an incredible experience and you're Thanks. gonna fall in love all over again. Yes. Um and you know never knew love like this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be a beautiful thing. And I can't wait to see the pictures as well. So thank you guys for <laughs> listening. Thank you guys for joining us. Yeah. And because uh it was a supersized episode, I don't feel like I can leave without playing the incredible 
you know, obviously the Mother's Day song, right? Which is Boys to Men. No. <laughs> Yes, you pop. <laughs> yeah. I love you when you brought Kanye in, but this is awesome. Yeah, so, you know, we're going to ride out. Thank when you guys. I was young, me and my mama had peace, <laughs>